great to have everybody tonight. And I just want to send a special uh, welcome to everybody watching online tonight as well. Um, quick update about what's going on here in Israel before we dive into the Word of God. We are on the verge of another lockdown, they tell us here. They're supposed to vote on this later tonight. This is a live service, so welcome. Kings Community Live, Facebook Live, those of you uh, watching on our YouTube channel as well. This is live. They're supposed to vote tonight, Sunday night Israel time, on the latest news for the lockdown. It might even begin as early as Friday, which means we could be locked down for all of the fall festivals. So we're, we're not sure how to how to navigate this. So what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that we've got all bases covered. We're going to do some live portions next week prepared. We're going to do some recorded portions prepared just in case we're not allowed to get in the building. But either way, we're going to honor the Lord and we're going to honor his appointed times next week. So we welcome everybody uh, from all around the world, especially our members here in Israel uh, first, but also welcome everybody watching tonight from Argentina, from Austria, Belgium, Belize, Brazil, Canada, Colombia, Costa Rica, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Guatemala, Holland, Hong Kong, India, Ireland, Spain, Nigeria, Norway, Philippines, Poland, Romania, Rwanda, uh, Singapore, Slovakia, South Africa, Sweden, Switzerland, Taiwan, United Kingdom, United States, and there are probably others that we didn't get on the list. Welcome to Jerusalem. Welcome to King of Kings. We're so happy you joined our family tonight. Pray for us. This week, we had the highest spike in our corona numbers that we've had since the beginning, a one-day spike of 4,000 people uh, right after the kids went back to school. So our, our, our country is divided over this. Uh, we, we understand that many countries are divided over this, but we need your prayers. We're a small country uh, surrounded by uh, not a lot of people who love us in this region and certainly don't need more complications uh, inside the country. So pray for us. We thank you for that. Turn in your Bibles to the book of James. We're going to continue tonight. James chapter 4 in our faith and faithfulness series. And as you're turning there, let me give you a little teaser about what's coming next week as well. We are going to celebrate the Feast of Trumpets next week, Yom Teruah. We are going to have the blowing of the shofar next week. Uh, we already have a team preparing that, some wonderful worship. And remember, next week, is the week we're going to release the brand new King of Kings worship song, the, the original that's been written by our team, and it's going to be in a series of new releases of worship songs that we believe catch the prophetic voice of the believers here in Israel today. And we believe that when we share it with you and all of its attributes and all of its elements, that you're going to be able to take it back to your congregation wherever you live and maybe replicate that in worship with us. So stay tuned. Check all of our channels and our newsletters for that, that release next week. Very excited about it. Last week, Pastor Mike did a wonderful job of uh, helping us through the end of chapter 3 of James. He talked about the peacemaker's wisdom and needing the wisdom of God, especially in today's world that it's hard to navigate exactly what to do. It's hard to navigate what to think and what to say. I don't know that anybody has been more fearful to say what they think than right now. Including on social media, it can, be, it can be a dangerous place right now to say anything on social media. People will jump on you, regardless of what side of any particular issue you're on. But let's start tonight in James chapter 4. We're going to start looking at the battle that's within us, but tonight's sermon title, if you're looking it up later on archives, Why We Do It. 
the why behind everything, why we do it. Let's begin with the main text, James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? I want to stop right there and first notice the fights and the quarrels, okay? Catching up with last week, the peacemaker's wisdom, peacemaking between brothers and sisters. But now uh, the, the, the thought is continuing because we know in the ancient text there was no chapter break. So the thought is continuing here, and the context is important, that there's fights and quarrels going on. Why are they going on? Because they're caused by something. And here, James says that they're caused from a battle within us. So what is the battle going on inside of us? Well, it says that the battle is over the desires that are happening within us. And this is really a consistent theme that we've heard before from the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. I'll remind you of Romans chapter 7. He says, For I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Jumping to verse 21 of chapter 7. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another work, another law at work in me. It's waging war against the law of my mind. And it's making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. You see, Paul was acknowledging that there's a constant battle. And let me be clear here. For those of you that may be new to Yeshua, new to the kingdom of God, new to faith, and you might be saying, I'm discouraged that the, that the temptation of sin didn't just leave me when I gave my heart to the Lord. No, no. It's not always how it works. The sin will leave you, but the temptations are always going to be put in front of you day after day. And Paul is even acknowledging, one of the patriarchs of faith, that there's a battle within him over his evil desires. His sinful nature, his flesh and his spirit are battling it out. And James picks up on the same thing. But what James is saying is that yes, there's a battle within us and there's evil desires that are clashing within us. But if we don't get hold of these, they cause problems in our relationships. And that's where James starts to drill down a little bit. What part of the battle is causing us to fight? Well, it's the elements of our evil desires, selfishness, pride, arrogance, impatience, lack of trust. You see, all of these things are poison to relationships, and they come from an evil desire. If you jump down to verse 2, you see, that's exciting stuff. All of that was verse 1. Can you imagine what's about to get here, what's about to happen now? That was one verse. Look at verse 2. He says, you desire, but you do not have, and so you kill. Now, whether he's talking about killing physically or killing relationally or emotionally or verbally, you can, you can ask the Holy Spirit. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. So do you notice there's evil desires rising up, and it's, it's causing poison to happen in our relationships and and, and there's a battle within us that's, that's causing our relationships to have trouble because of our evil desires. And now we want something, but we don't get it, so we're jealous of somebody else. We want somebody to treat us a certain way, and instead of being a good example leading to a solid relationship, we covet or we hate in our heart, which is equal to killing. 
in the New Covenant Scriptures, as you know. But coveting, not getting what you want, and so you lash out because you don't get what you want. You know, it could be a sad day when we realize that God may not be answering our prayers because of something we've done. Now you say, well, sin, isn't it sin? Sin blocks the move of God. Well, certainly it can, but God is so gracious. Many times he just works around it because he loves us so much. We're not perfect, and we're never going to be in a place of perfection in our own doing to ask God for anything. And so James is starting to realize this, that you're asking for stuff, from God, but you don't get it, and you can't get it because you're fighting, and you're fighting because of your evil desires. You want something, and they won't give it to you, and you're, and you're throwing a temper tantrum. Can I just be real honest for a moment? We're just throwing a temper tantrum. I'm a, I'm a parent. I'm a father of four, and I can tell you very intimately all of the details of what a temper tantrum looks like. I dealt with several temper tantrums this morning. And when they're young, when they're really young, this morning my two-year-old, when she had her temper tantrum, she thought she was going to assert her will because she didn't get what she wanted. She decided she was going to go with two straight arms and two fists closed. That's what she, that was her position. But my older ones, they do it a little bit differently. Sometimes it's a, it's, a, it's a stomp. Dad, can I do? No, it's not. You can't do that right now. Oop. And I say, excuse me. Did you just have a problem with your foot? No, sir. You, you, better, you better tell your foot who's in charge here. And sometimes you can see that they start to do it, but they remember the last time they, they had a temper tantrum. They didn't get what they want. They had a temper tantrum. Their foot wanted to rebel. And they started to stomp it and they realized they shouldn't do it. I'm like, no, you can't have that. And I commend them. Good job. I saw your foot wanted to rebel, but I also saw you exercise self-control. As they get a little bit older, maybe it's not the arms. Maybe it's not the foot. Sometimes it's the shoulders. I'm sorry. No, that's not good for you. You can't do that. The shoulders go down. Sometimes the mouth goes open Dad, oh, what do you mean I can't have that? What do you mean I can't do that? What do you mean I can't go there? Oh, shoulders and mouth, oh. Temper tantrums. And you think that they are reserved for the children. Ah, no, no, no. James says that we as mature adult believers are not getting what we want because of evil desires. It's causing us to lash out against our brothers and sisters or even at God. And we are, in essence, throwing a temper tantrum because we didn't get what we wanted. Think about that next time you have a bad attitude toward the Lord. You just stomped at Him. Oh, God, come on. And what God is really saying is, you know I want to bless you. But we've got this little thing in our way right now called evil desires. Let's work on that. Let's let's get rid of the disunity and come back to our brothers and sisters in a good relationship. Let's take care of that. Because I don't want this good stuff to distract you. I don't want it to distract you. So let's focus 
on what we need to do. How does a, how does a grown-up temper tantrum look? Well, I'll tell you what it looks like. It works like this. When you see somebody that says, I can't, I can't work with you anymore. I'm sorry. I can't work with you anymore. You don't give me what I want. I'm not speaking to you. I'm not going to speak to you anymore. You didn't treat me the way I think that I should be treated. I'm also going to gossip about you. I'm going to tell other people some untruth about you. I'm going to tell them some things that aren't true. I'm going to try to hurt your feelings. I'm going to dig in with my words. I'm going to give you the cold shoulder. That's just a temper tantrum. All of that stuff. We got to be big boys and big girls that if there's a problem in the relationship, go talk to somebody. Tell them what it is. Don't throw a grown-up temper tantrum because just like I view my children's temper tantrums as immature, so God views our temper tantrums as immature. And we're better than that. Now getting back to the idea for a moment of desires causing fights, James also notes that selfish desires often determine whether or not God will or will not grant a request. Let's look at verse 3 for a moment. He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So now you've got to capture three words that have happened already in three verses. Desires, motives, and pleasures or selfish pleasures, some of your translations may say. He uses these words, motives, desires, and pleasures. Let me give you our first key phrase tonight. Our sinful motives, our fleshly desires, and intent on selfish pleasures are poisoning our relationships with God and with others. You see, in this verse, God may not be intending that selfish pleasures, that that wording, he may not be intending that that wording means sexual sins or indulgent behaviors like substance abuse and materialism. Maybe that's not what he's meaning here. Selfish pleasures. Because the context of the ongoing conversation is not necessarily those things. The context of selfish pleasures, fleshly desires and evil motives, the context has been relationships. It's been the relationship since verse 3, moving on to verse uh, chapter 3 and on, and on into verse uh, chapter 4, because he continues with that in 3 and 4, both chapters. Chapter 3 and chapter 4. Both chapters are talking about interpersonal relationship dynamics. How do we treat others? How do we speak to others? And we get a, we get a little bit of a ro- report card in the Word of God that's helpful The fruit of the Spirit in our life is a little bit of a report card about our motives. How are we doing? Our actions. How are we treating other people? Are we putting people first? You know, Yeshua taught that we put other people above ourselves. When he said, was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Well, it's to love God with all your heart, soul, body, and mind. But the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when James quoted Yeshua, remember, that was Yeshua quoting himself from Leviticus. So he wrote it in Leviticus, he quotes it back in the Gospels, and then James quotes him, and when James quotes that same law, to love others as yourself, he calls it the royal law. So the greatest law is to love God, the royal law is to love others. He mentioned that in James chapter 2. But how can we have selfish pleasures when relating to others? 
Well, how does it look when you're relating to others and you have a selfish desire or an evil motive or something off? It's, it manifests itself when you want to be right. So you push harder. You want status. You want somebody to see you a certain way. Putting others down in order to elevate yourself. Criticizing others. Highlighting their faults instead of valuing all that God has put inside of them. All of these dynamics that we go through in our humanity and in our flesh, is, they're coming out of motive and desire and some kind of selfish pleasure that we are seen and honored more than them. And that's what's causing the fights, the quarrels, the dissension. The fruit of the Spirit helps us to bring clarity to what interrelational dynamics should look like. Now, in a lot of ways, the physical sins are a little bit more obvious. And the internal sins are not so obvious. And so, it's interesting that when you read about the fruit of the Spirit, it first starts talking about the obvious things before it gets into a little bit more subtle things. Let me turn your attention to the fruit of the Spirit chapter and verse, Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 19. It says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Now watch this. Selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. How important is it to treat others well? It's so important, it's the number two law in the scriptures called the royal law, and it's also so important that if we don't learn to do it, we do not inherit the kingdom of God. That's how important it is to treat others well. Now, Notice that Paul starts off with this list of the obvious things, the, the, the more physical things that you can see, and then he moves into the more subtle things like the selfish ambition, dissension, and factions, envy, because they all relate with interpersonal relationships and the way we treat other people in those dynamics. Peter picks this up also, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. He says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Next chapter, 1 Peter 3, 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Now, why did I throw Peter in there? Because I wanted to show you this. That this theme was important to James. But it was also important to Yeshua, to Paul, and to Peter. Meaning all of the head apostles, as they launched new congregations, as they, they, they laid hands on pastors and elders and leadership teams, as they traveled and they brought the whole new covenant community together in its early stages, all of these major apostles realized that they were all seeing the same thing, no matter where they went. They were seeing a breakdown in the way that we treat others. The way that we love and honor and speak well of other people. The way we believe the best in them. Even when maybe we don't have all of the facts, we still believe the best in them. Even when they've wronged us, we still believe the best in them. 
when there's missing puzzle pieces of information, we're careful to put the right puzzle piece in there to believe the best in people. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 even mentioned this in, in the love chapter. As you get toward the end, it says that love believes all things and love hopes all things. It's a, it's a positive outlook on life and a positive outlook on people. We believe the best in people. And that's what Yeshua, James, Paul, and Peter all realized as they were birthing the new covenant community was we had a breakdown that we don't always believe the best in other people. The motives have been a problem. Now, how do we address it? How do we address our evil desires and ulterior motives, our drive for selfish pleasures? Well, I want to bring your attention to the rest of the section about the fruit of the Spirit. I read you the opening section, which was not all the good stuff. It was all the sinful things. But finally, we get to the good stuff. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is what should come out of us, the fruit of the Spirit of God is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. Now I noticed this week as I meditated on the fruit of the Spirit again, that something jumped out at me. That as we walk through these fruits or expressions in our life, most of them are very understandable. And our various translations of, uh, of the Word of God might even help us here because they give synonyms or, or similar words to help us understand what each word means. So if we were to go down this list really quickly, we would say, what is love? Well, we understand what love is. It's serving others above yourself. It has an action behind it. You know, that's the book of James, right? Don't just have faith. Don't just say you believe in God and you love other people. Show us. Show us love. Putting people above yourself with action. Joy. Well, okay, what's a real joy? Well, it's gratitude, having a positive attitude toward the future, believing the best of, of what is yet to come. It's joy. What is peace? Well, peace is an inner contentment. It's a high level of trust in God and what he's going to do. What is forbearance? Well, it is a long-suffering and an idea of patience. What is kindness? Well, it's giving. It's, it's generosity. It's helping others. Faithfulness. It's consistency. Living a life of good reputation. Following through. What's gentleness? Not being harsh with people. Being selective and kind with your words gentleness. What is self-control? Staying calm, not being angry. Sometimes I even think that self-control is just breathing. Just breathe. I say that to my kids a lot when they're in the middle of a fight. Somebody step back, just breathe for a minute. We'll figure this out. And so as you walk you're all the way through the list of the fruit of the Spirit, one stands out a little bit different than the rest. And the one that stands out here is goodness. You see, what is goodness? It's a little bit different than the rest of them. Goodness can seem a little harder to understand because it's not so easily seen. And I don't want you to misunderstand or, or just bypass goodness because you don't know what it is. 
They say love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Yeah, I know all of those. those I express those. People can see those. Those come out with my words and my body and my hands and my feet. I can do all of these things. But this goodness thing, how, how do I show goodness? I've already shown kindness, so that's not it. I've already shown love. I've already shown patience. So it can't be those things. It's, it's something different. And I don't want us to misunderstand or, or maybe not even use goodness because we don't know what it is. You know, sometimes goodness can be like that key on your keychain when you've got a bunch of keys and you don't remember what it does. Like, you know it's there. You look at it a lot. You read it in the Bible a lot, but you have no idea what that key does. You have no idea what goodness does. What is it? It reminded me when I mentioned that to my wife, and of course my, my wife's in the medical field. She's a nurse. Oftentimes her responses have to do with medical background. Not knowing what it is and what to do with it and what it's supposed to be. She said, ah, the appendix. The appendix. It's a piece of your body off of your intestine. It's about the size of a normal uh, adult's smallest pinky finger. That's about how big it is. And it just hangs off. And although there are some theories about what it does, most medical opinions are varied and they're not sure what it does. Sounds a lot like goodness. We're not sure what the appendix does. Some people believe it it provides good bacteria to help your digestion. That's some good articles on that. Those of you that are interested in in, in healthy eating and processing. But for the most part, and, and for a long time, the medical community was not clear on what the appendix is or what it does or why we have it. It's kind of like goodness. Why is it there? It's just hanging there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. We get all these good ones. Gentleness, all the ones we can understand, but what is goodness? Goodness is different. Goodness in the Greek, agathosine, it means the uprightness of your heart. You see, the motive is now important It's not just enough to love somebody, but why are you doing it? It's not just enough to be kind. Why are you doing it? It's not just good enough to be patient or long-suffering. Why are you doing it? That's where goodness comes in. It's the uprightness of the heart. It's exposing the motive. It's exposing the desire and the reason behind it. Our second key phrase tonight, goodness is the why we do it. It's the why we do it. We know what we do. We know what we're supposed to do. But goodness is the why we do it. It's the reasoning, not just the action. Kindness is great, but you know God is concerned with our heart motive and desires. I remind you of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes of him to whom we must give account. It judges the attitudes of the heart, not just the actions of the hands. Now, what is James setting us up for here? Watch this. He's he's getting pretty good at this. He says, listen, you need to have faith in God and love God. But faith and love toward God and man is not just something you say, it's something you do. So now faith and love has to have an action behind it. And behind that action is a motive. 
So now he's not only testing our love and our faith, he's testing our action, and now he's testing our motive. And James is building a really solid case for solving a problem that he and the other apostles have seen around the world as the gospel has spread. I'm going to take a quick aside for just a moment because some of you might be thinking I just left you hanging about the appendix. Pastor, do you know what it does? No, I have no idea what it does. I have a theory though. And notice I'm not behind the pulpit because this is just a theory. You can send us your comments on social media. Tell me what you think about this. Is it possible? It's just a question. Is it possible? Because I don't think God does anything on accident. Is it possible that before the fall, it had a purpose? It had a different purpose, but after sin entered our body, the way our body functioned, you know, with the, with the way we get so sleepy and so tired, the way we have to process food and illness and sickness and disease, all of these things, could it be that before the fall, the appendix worked just perfectly? And now we don't know what it does. Perhaps the sinful fall of man changed our bodies even to some of our internal organs. That's just a theory. Send me a comment on on social media. Let me know what you think. Shoot me down. Agree with me. It's irrelevant. Either way, it's just a fun topic. But this brings us back to our opening comments tonight and the lesson that we're focusing on. What causes problems among our relationships, our desires, our motives, and our selfish pleasures. And goodness is that which measures the intent of the heart, which is what God is always after anyway. You know, my my kids love to ask me questions about love. And they're good questions. And lately the one is this. Dad, you know that the way God built love, right? That he gives us a choice that we can love him or not love him. And I said, right, it's always a choice. Well, what, why wouldn't he just create love differently that we didn't have to pick a choice? And I said, well, then it wouldn't be love if there wasn't a choice because God wants the, the motive of the heart. He doesn't want you only as a soldier. He wants you to want to be a soldier, right? He doesn't just want you to be a servant. He wants you to want to be a servant, Some of you may have had this circular conversation at some point in your marriage. Would you please go do the dishes? Or would you like to do the dishes? That that came up one time in my family. Honey, do you want to do the dishes? No. I don't. What? Well, if you're asking me a question, do I want to do the dishes? No, the answer is always no. I never want to do the dishes. I will go do the dishes out of love for my family, but who in the world really wants to do the dishes? So this came up a few times, and we said, ah, you're asking the the motive of my heart. You're not asking for the actual strict answer to that question, right? Right. And sometimes God does that with love. He says, look, I'm putting a choice in front of you. I want to know the motive of your heart. What do you desire? Do you desire me? I don't just want you to be a robot. I want you to desire the relationship with me, the way I desire the relationship with you. And that's really the measure of goodness. It's the why we do it. It's the why we do what we do. And it's often the most overlooked and underappreciated of the fruits of the Spirit. 
So I did a funny thing when I was looking, I was just looking up some research about what things are the most underappreciated or overlooked. And a long list of things came up on a survey of, uh, you know, thousands of people surveyed, what is the most underrated or underappreciated thing? And they had categories. So for the younger in the audience tonight, the younger watching, listen, the, the most underrated superhero, are you ready for this? The most underrated superhero apparently is Aquaman. So if you're an Aquaman fan, I'm giving him a little airtime. For those of you watching around the world, the most underrated, beautiful country, Kazakhstan. Huh, that one, I didn't have no idea. Those watching in Kazakhstan tonight, you have a beautiful country. The most underrated vacation spot in the world, New Zealand. And I know we have people from New Zealand watching tonight. Congratulations on your underrated vacation spot. And the, because I'm a father with young children, I ha, of course I had to look up the most underrated animated movie. That, of course he had to do that. Hunchback of Notre Dame. If anybody's ever seen The Hunchback of Notre Dame. The most underrated animated movie. I thought that was interesting. And as we move to a close tonight, listen, if you go through and count all of the laws of God, you have as many laws in the word of God about how to treat other people as you do about how to treat God. That's how important it is to God. That's why when Yeshua was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love God, love your neighbor. They're both there. I wrote this in the Torah. They're right neck and neck. You got to do both. And it's not just good enough to do the action. I want to know the heart behind the action. Now, this is a very timely message for today in the turmoil of the world. Pastor Mike alluded to it last week with Peacemaker's Wisdom. And one of the ways we can impact the world around us in these days of trouble is to be a good example. Treat others with honor and respect. If there's a lockdown coming, we know that there's going to be chaos in our country. If you know anything about the Israeli spirit, they're not going to go for this lockdown. And they're going to have to bring out the police and the army to enforce it. And then it's brother against brother. You know, it's going to be a really weird situation. But there's turmoil in the world right now. But following the word of God and having the right heart motive of goodness helps accomplish what James is telling us. I was speaking with a pastoral friend of mine this past week and has a very large congregation And he was telling me how much division is in their community right now. Because in their city, they have a lot of protests, a lot of violence, a lot of criminal activity in these protests. And he said to me, I don't know what to do, Pastor. I've got people that are the protesters. I've got people supporting the protesters, even though they're not the protesters. I've got people anti-protesting the protesters. I've got people who own businesses that the protesters are breaking into. I've got people in the community volunteering to defend the business of the other member who has the business who the protesters are breaking into. And they're all in my congregation and they're all fighting and I don't know how to solve this problem. I said, yeah, that's a timely word. Go read James chapter four. I'm gonna be preaching on it this week because James was feeling it. Paul was feeling it. Peter was feeling it. Yeshua was feeling it. And they all encourage us, go back to the motive of the heart. So let me close with this verse, James chapter four, the main text, verse 10. 
and 11. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Be a peacemaker. Treat others well. Promote unity in the body. Believe the best in others. Be a high trust person, even if you get burned a lot. All of these tools start with checking ourselves and our inner desires and our motives and the goodness of our heart. And that's why the Bible calls it goodness, because it doesn't want you just to do the action. It wants you to know why you do the action. And that is most closely related to the heart of God. As we go into the holidays this coming week, this would be a great time to do some self-introspection about not just our life and our patterns and who we're friends with and how we give and how we serve, how we treat others, how we spend our time, but the why. Why are we doing these things that God may be glorified in us? Let's pray. Heavenly One, we are so honored to be in your house tonight, to be together with our brothers and sisters. We thank you for this great opportunity. We realize that we don't even know when the next time we can do this is. So we honor the time. Would you help us to understand how important the motive of our heart is to you? Thank you, Lord, that we stay away from those things that poison us in our relationships with both you and others. Help us to put away selfish desires, ulterior motives, and fleshly thinking. Thinking of our own pleasures. Tonight we repent and we ask for your forgiveness, God. Both on an individual level and on a, a much larger spectrum of how is the body of Messiah treating the world around us? We need answers. We need your help. Holy Spirit, please come. And going into this holiday season, open new doors for us. New doors to share your love, to share your encouragement and your hope with a world that needs it so desperately right now. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.